listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink and I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd, Head of Client Solutions at Hearst Publications and famous for being the founder of Great British Chefs. Thank you. In your own lunchtime. In my own lunchtime. A legend. Yeah, a legend. <laughs> a legend. Um, and we've got two lovely guests um, today. So we've got Samir Vaswani, Prodigy Snacks. Hi. We know you quite well because we eat your bars in our office. Lovely. <laughs> and um, also Guy Wilmot of Bird and Wild Coffee. Although you are going to talk about other things as well, aren't you, Guy? I am indeed, yes. You are. Good. So um, I'm just going to ask Ollie about coffee because he goes on and on and on and on about coffee. Tell me about coffee and why it's so important to your life. I think I think it's one of those markers that starts the day, and I think it is. There, it is. Well, I mean, lots of things are like this, but my word, there is a difference between a good cup of coffee and what can only be described as a mouth-burning, hot drink Bitter. served in some awful train station somewhere. Mm. And, it, and and the art form of having just a beautifully produced coffee. For me, I take it with milk, so you know, I think that's obviously a big part of it. Is getting that right, getting the brewing right. Doesn't have the bitterness. It's just a world away from that awful, hot, burning liquid that is so often served to us, that I avoid nowadays, that plague. <laughs> I'm going to give you some facts. Uh, coffee loses its caffeine as it's roasted, not all mm. of it, mm. um, and so a dark, bold cup of coffee actually has less caffeine than a lighter roast, mm. apparently. Yep, um, S- Starbucks, don't like Starbucks at all, sorry if anybody's listening from Starbucks. <laughs> Um, uses round tables to make solo coffee drinkers feel less alone. It's a good fact. Just a quick defence of Starbucks. Quick defence of Starbucks. If you go and see them in Seattle, I know you've been to Seattle, so mm. you do sense where that business came from. Yeah, did, and it actually. did actually have... You know, I remember driving up, this was back in 2004, I drove up to the sort of takeaway windows, and all the dogs there were given biscuits, you know, and they came up to the window, and there were photos of the local customers, and you're like, wow, this thing had soul when it started. And it's very hard to do that when you reach the scale that Starbucks have. Yeah, of course. And I think the thing for me is I just find them dirty when you go in, because they have so much volume. It's just mm. like, oh, a bit sticky and not cleared up properly. And I think the food offering's awful. Really awful. Yeah, I think that's a hard one for them. <laughs> Sorry, Starbucks. Um, um, anyway, a tall Starbucks coffee has about 7.6 times the caffeine of a can of Coke wow. and more caffeine than a 12-ounce can of Red Bull. Well, I never knew that. Mind you, the tall one's like a bucket, isn't it? Yeah, it's about my height. Mm. Coffee grounds. I'm going to do this, actually, because I do like my little garden. Coffee grounds are environmentally friendly slug repellent. They are, and they're good, they're good for that. the soil. They're good for the soil. I don't do it enough. I, have, I mean, yeah, I should do it more. I don't think this is true. I don't know, I don't know who wrote this in my... Your script. briefing note. Coffee stays warm 20% longer when cream is added. No, that doesn't, that doesn't work, surely. I think that's probably... Guy? That, no, definitely not. <laughs> April Fool's. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, yeah, it could yeah. be April Fool's. I'm a bit late yeah. for April Fool's. Um, okay. There we go. Maybe there they wrote go. it on April Fool's. They might have done. They might have yeah. done. Now, the reason why we're talking about that is Guy Wilmot of Bird and Wild Coffee. Um, this was launched in 2017... 
And it's the the UK's leading shade-grown and bird-friendly coffee, which we'll explain in a minute. And you entered the Future Food Awards, and we were we were really bowled over by the by the whole story. Do you, do you want to explain? Or should we have a taste first? That's a very good idea. Yeah. Should we have a taste first, and when we can we can sort of sip while you're while you're talking? Yes. So, so you've bought two things with you, haven't I've you? I've got two options for you. One is the AeroPress, which is essentially like an espresso. And the other's like a filter coffee. So what do you prefer, Sue? Espresso, actually. I'm a, yeah. a fan of espresso because I think that sorts the men out from the boys. They're not allowed to say that anymore. That is, that is, that is I think that's called heteronormative. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Does that mean sexist? Probably, yeah. So there we go. And what about you, I'm going to follow the same. Okay. The same. Thank you. Samir? I'm going to try your espresso. I tried okay. your lovely filter outside. All right, lovely. There we go. So... so Bird and Wild, I'm just, I'm not very good at doing things and then talking at the same time, but I'll try. Uh, I'm not making any... You're not making any Normative comments, hetero... What do you call them? Okay. It was comments. It's not heteronormative, it was just sex. Actually, last comment. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to make any comments on that. Uh, or just any comments. <laughs> or any there. comments, no. <laughs> there, done. So, uh, yeah, basically we founded it uh, in 2017 and it's the UK's only bird-friendly and shade-grown coffee. And to understand what bird-friendly and shade-grown is, it's probably better to understand what it isn't, which is sun-grown coffee. And now sun-grown is 80% of the world's coffee is grown out in direct sunlight. Coffee naturally goes in the shade, but obviously for commercial reasons in the 60s and 70s, they said, well, why don't we just put it in the sun? So they got special uh, grades of coffee to be able to grow in the sun. And as a result, the yields are much higher. So you've got, it grows much faster, the cherries are larger. You can sometimes do two harvests a year. So economically, it's a great idea. But unfortunately, uh, for the birds, for example, it removes all of the nesting areas because they remove all of the trees as well. And also with the insecticide and the pesticides, there's nothing for them to eat. Um, also environmentally, it's not very good because if you can imagine being in direct sunlight, a bit like sort of oilseed rape or, rape or other uh, monocultures, uh, it basically canes the soil. You've got basically all the nutrients going out. You've got to put loads of fertilizer down and eventually the soil health degrades to the point where you actually just have to move on to another to virgin land. Yeah. yeah, so it's very much the same like with cocoa, with soya. Uh, coffee is exactly the same. So this is... Shaking. But this is like, this is not known, is it? It's not, no. it's, not, it's not common knowledge at all. And I think when you entered the Future Food Awards and we were reading about it, it's like, well, of course, of course that's... Of course, that's how it works, but you just don't think about it. No, it's not really talked about in the coffee industry. Mm. So uh, it was something I discovered in, in America. Shade grown and bird friendly coffee is well known on the on the West Coast, and I actually found out about it at a trade show, and then thought, you know what, I'd like to create my own brand, and contacted the RSPB because I thought, well, it'd be really nice to help coffee origin, but also the UK needs desperate help with its wildlife as well. And then they're like, that's a great idea, and that's how it started. So, um, so. I think also when I was reading about you when you entered the awards, um, um, there is uh, something about um, the coffee, the local coffee market, and the and the coffee farmers, um, and they're being almost incentivised, aren't they, to to grow it in the sun? And what you're trying to do is look at a, a way of incentivising people so they so they you know take note of what you're saying and go back to growing it where the way it should be done. Yeah, that's true. In any case, when we talk about sun grown, it's actually huge estates. I wouldn't really mm. think it's not man from Bel- Del Monte. There's huge tracts of land that's mainly mechanised now. But whereas shade-grown and bird-friendly coffee is basically old-school coffee growing, it's smallholder farmers in agroforestry. So you've got basically trees, which they may well cut down here here and there to, you know, they've got a livelihood, but they basically still keep the ecosystem going so that 
birds can keep coming back there so they still have a livelihood and then as well as that it's fair trade and organic so there's the minimum fair trade price and then they get an extra premium by the Smithsonian Institute in Washington that does the bird friendly certification so it's a win-win really. So your your um, take on the coffee because you're a bit it's of a coffee expert. It's absolutely lovely. I mean I, I think I think I think one of the things though in some it's ways really is really earthy and tasty to me. It is. I mean I, was, I mean, I would normally have sugar in coffee. Sorry about that. Oh, oh, oh. But uh, I, the reason for that is because so often it's too, it's just not nice enough. Um, and I think I put sugar in just to get the edge off it. This is yeah. just lovely on its own. It is. I mean, I, I think. But I mean, I think it would be fair to say it. Obviously, you can't taste as much. You know, like there's great coffee out there that's grown in broad sunlight, and there's you know clearly now great coffee that's grown you know in a bird friendly way and i think this in some ways is the interesting thing as consumers is for us to all look slightly beyond the packaging and understand what what are is complicated what are the kind of decisions that you're actually fundamentally reinforcing by buying things samir are you taken with this i mean because you, you we'll talk about your chocolate in a minute but you know it's got, it's got really nice to yeah, like you said, I, I'm like you. I, I like to take sugar in my coffee, um, takes the edge off. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's delicious. It's quite, really quite smooth. It is quite a mainstream coffee because basically mm. I'd say in coffee world, there's two camps. You've got the kind of mainstream coffee guys who are fine with coffee with milk and generally just that's the sort of the larger part. And then there's the third wave indie roasters, uh, a lot in this area, for example, in King's Cross. And they prefer a lighter roast. They want special processing methods to make it really fruity and citrus. Whereas I'm kind of going after normal everyday people who want to help the environment and are happy drinking it with milk, you know? Just sort of more punchy coffees, but still a bit of sweetness. Talking of which, can I have some of your filter coffee with yeah, milk now? I've just downed my espresso. You actually subscribe to coffee, do you? No. I did actually for a while. I did for a while. And I just found the whole thing just a bit confusing. Um... And I'm really cool with it in the world of chocolate. I mean, I do cocoa runners, as I've said many times, and I love the surprise and delight of random chocolates arriving in my house. Um, <laughs> but in the world of coffee, I kind of want something that I know is going to work in either my machine or my cafetiere, and some do, some don't. So I think it's a bit more complicated. Um, so where where is this where is this available? Is this like a are you? So it's mainly direct to read, uh, direct to e, it's e-commerce mainly. Um, so we do very well on Amazon and our website, and then we've got a couple of independents as well, and we're doing really well in offices. So thank mm. you to Alan Overy, for example, who who take take the coffee for their entire thousand strong office. That's really where my direction is now yeah. is going to offices and are starting to supply corporates because. You know, it's it's a no-brainer for them to be drinking coffee that's helping them, you know. Yeah. And um, do you only sell beans because these are all beans? Uh, no, we do ground coffee as well. So, yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I'd say with the website, the amazing thing is you can go just direct to consumer now. Or if a cafe gets in touch, I just say, here, here's the wholesale portal. Get You know, just order it online and it all goes out. So even for, we've got various vegan cafes because it's also... Uh, seen as a vegan-friendly coffee because it protects animals as well. Mm. So there are quite a few just get in touch and I just get them to go back on the website. So I'm thinking less about retail now. Um, I've been involved with lots of other coffee brands that were always very retail-focused, but beauty is now we don't always have to worry too much about the retailers. But um, if I may say, you, you actually don't really make any money out of this, do you? Not really. Not yet, no. I'm, but no. It, it, that's this is, a, this is a passion project right now. So I'm hoping... It will continue to grow. But, and, and working with the RSPB is really important to you. Yeah, it is. It's just something if I basically thought, well, if I want to have my own brands, I want to do something. I want to feel really proud about it. And 
it is a business, but at the same time, we can all benefit from it from with, with charities as well. So what do you do for your day job? Because I've got something else in front of me. <laughs> to try and, uh, no, I, mean, in a way, I mean, in a way, what you're trying to do is subsidise this until it, it you know, grows. At a, yeah, so Marley Coffee is has also been a passion project. With uh, So basically, uh, it was founded by Rohan Marley, one of Bob's sons, back in 2009. And I've been heavily involved with Jamaican coffee since 2007. And then I happened to be in Kingston on a business trip and I knew Rohan was there and I knew he was in the same hotel because he was on Twitter and I managed to grab him and say, can we start roasting for you in the UK back in 2012? And so we've been doing Marley Coffee since 2012 and we're doing lots of cafes and restaurants. We're doing actually better in on the continent than we are possibly in the UK. We do really well in France, Ireland, Scandinavia. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a family business now. So uh, Ziggy Marley, Sidella Marley, the chairman now. Uh, it's a Marley fa- whole Marley family business. Do you have to smoke spliffs while you're <laughs> meetings? I don't inhale. <laughs> this is this is this is radio. You're meant to be in witness. This is a right. children's program. Sorry. <laughs> so we've got. I've got a packet here, and it's um, it's a sort of black packet, and it's got get up, stand up. Yeah, that's. I think that's famous the Marley song. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So they're all obviously all Bob songs, and uh, uh, we do What's an organic the light range. What's uh, the light roast? What's that's the light that's the light roast that one. Oh, okay. What's the so what are the other titles? I'm so you've got the one love medium roast, you've got Buffalo Soldier Dark Roast, Lively Up Espresso Roast, that kind of thing. Uh you've Buffalo got quite Soldier. A few, I, I mean, love all you those can imagine songs. the sort of the, the brainstorming session. Like, okay, yeah. What are we gonna name this one? Let's pick our favourite lyrics. Jamming. Yeah, the family <laughs> are definitely really involved because whenever we're doing any events, they're always kind of really honoured. They want to make sure it's all and so yeah, whenever they're family in family name, it's important. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so we do, it isn't all Jamaican coffee because actually Jamaica Blue Mountain is incredibly expensive. So we do the Blue Mountain, which is really the sort of Christmas product. And then we do a blend and then we do organic ones. And we also do a, a one tree planted, which is planting trees as well. So there's a giving element as well to it. So, um, so the coffee moment, can we, you have mentioned it a few times before on the programme. Mm. For me, a restaurant... They should be proud to and, and and looking out for stuff like this because I think if you've got an amazing vegan menu or, or you know you're you're looking at your local products and sustainability and all that, you should be really looking at your coffee as well. Because quite often the coffee moment after dinner is is just wasted. Terrible. Terrible and a waste, a total waste. I mean, look, but I think the more and more you look at menus, we were talking about you know some of the sort of growth in really specialist pubs where they talk about, you know, this piece of lamb comes from this place and the veg comes from this place and the wine comes from this place. And it's they never very say that about coffee, don't they? No, it's about coffee. And mm. actually, I think it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those commodities that's still hidden and it's sort of, you know, which is crazy considering how much we all pay, you know, three, you know £3.20 in London for a flat white is kind of normal nowadays. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a pretty small coffee. Yeah, and for let's say five p more a cup, you can actually get a really sustainable, sustainable coffee with a great story. I mean, let's say with Marley Coffee, for example, we had uh, with Turtle Bay listed the coffee there, and it's increased coffee sales because people are like, oh wow, actually, I really want to try this. And actually, if you really make a you know make a story out of it and actually yeah. talk about it, people will also have a coffee, and that's one of the most profitable uh, sides to, to yeah. business. Mm. Should we have a piece of chocolate with our coffee? <laughs> Go on. hand in hand. Wait, what have you got there? What have you got there? So let's try uh, our orange chocolate. This is um, Samir, and we've got it's prodigy snacks. So you don't just do. I know you don't just don't just do chocolate. You've got all sorts of things. Um, so what have I got here? Eat no evil. Eat no evil. Mm-hmm. So prodigy chocolate is uh, sort of a new brand. Um, 
plant-based, uh, so dairy-free, gluten-free, uh, refined sugar-free, everything-free, plastic-free. Uh, the wrappers are compostable. Um, so our, our mission is basically reinventing all the classics, all the classic chocolate bars we all grew up with, um, and just making them better for you and better for the planet. So we've got chocolate here with no sugar and no dairy. Now, come on, how did you do that? I mean, that's not exactly easy. <laughs> well, it's, it's got no refined sugar. Um, okay. So we're using uh, a blend of coconut sugar, which is, uh, in my opinion, um, one of the most natural sugars you can get. Uh, comes straight from the sap of a coconut tree, uh, uh, which is kind of like a nectar. Uh, it's a liquid, and then it's just sort of dehydrated and crystallized to, to form into a powder. Uh, and then we use it and, and blend it in the chocolate. And then we use um, uh, a Peruvian superfruit called lucuma, which again is very naturally sweet, similar to a sweet potato. Um, and it's, it's full of fiber and nutrients and minerals. And uh, a blend of those is, is what we use to, to sweeten the chocolate. Uh, and it helps to, to bring the sugar content right down. Uh, so that was, that was our mission, you know, to, um, to create all these classic chocolate bars, making them better for you. And one of the main, main features being no refined sugar. Uh, and even if there is the sugar in it, which is natural sugar, it's as low as it can be. So we're probably 60, 70% less sugar than your mainstream kind of famous brands. So can I just say that Guy's eaten about three bars while you've been <laughs> these talking? These are really good. I tell you, I'm really pleased with these. Amazing. Brilliant, brilliant to hear. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I... Yeah, yeah, really good. So that's our take on a famous... Um, peanut-based. Peanut and caramel-based chocolate bar, no names mentioned. Um, there's another bar in this box, which is a, a coconut classic. Uh, we've got the orange flavour, and then um, um, a one? sort of straightforward... Um, our version of a, of a milk, in inverted commas. The, the purple one's the milk. The purple one's the milk, yeah. It's really interesting because when you eat the purple one, so I'm being taken back to sort of classic milk chocolate, is there's this battle about is it close enough to what you're eating, hmm. what you me- your memory, because it's about memory, isn't it? And I, this is in the ballpark of being kind of, a, you know, a dairy milk, Cadbury's dairy milk chocolate, but it's slightly different. And I would sweet, say, in a, play, in, in a in a really in a more sort of complex way, there's another. There's definitely another dimension dimension to it, and the taste lingers in a different way. I think that you know, I think that this is really interesting. Yeah, so uh, you know, there's this rising trend now in chocolate, um, uh, which is sort of this this sort of darker milk concept. Um, so most mainstream milk chocolate bars are anywhere between 20-25% cocoa content or cacao content up to a maximum of 30. We're at sort of 45-46. Uh, so it's kind of halfway between between classic milk and, and dark. Um, but it's, it's again, it's single origin without, I mean, without plastering it across the packaging. All the cacao is from Peru. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a bit more complex, as you say. Um, and and the fact that it hasn't got the dairy, believe it or not, uh, th- there is a big school of thought that dairy actually shouldn't be used in chocolate because dairy inhibits the natural nuances of of, of C- cacao, cacao coming through. Mm. So I've just had so the these are dairy bounty. free, mm. gluten free. You That's had the bounty lovely. one. I've got the Milky Way one. Wow. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say this. So I don't it, care. It, it, it's, it, yeah. <laughs> um, so these are vegan approved, gluten free, dairy free. Um, if you know my children are, um, are too old now, but if, if if they were at school and you know they had a, a lunch box and they were they really did want something a bit sweet and 
quite difficult to wean them off the chocolate. This this is a pretty good, you know, way of getting around that, isn't it? Yeah, and again, one of the reasons why we created it, you know, I have two young kids, they're, they're aged eight and ten, um, we're all chocoholics in our family, <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, just couldn't watch them consume all the sort of nasty ingredients that exist out there. Um, so yeah, perfect for lunchboxes, perfect for, for kids, millennials, teenagers, part of our brand manifesto is, you know, we're trying to save the next generation, sure. uh, and give them a, a better alternative. The other thing that we were impressed by in, when you went to the awards is, is the fact that the, the packaging is plastic free. So you're not only giving yourself <laughs> this challenge of it being vegan, you know, friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, it's also, how, how did you, because the, the packaging looks like any normal packaging. You wouldn't know that, would you? No, Ollie? you wouldn't. Mm. Yeah, Sorry, so I've it's... i a whole one all on my own. <laughs> I, think we've eaten, I think we've collectively eaten an entire box. <laughs> so, I wouldn't normally eat chocolate, actually. Hmm. Um, so the, the packaging is, um, is, is certified compostable. Uh, it's made from plant-based fibres, um, also known as cellulose. Um, and yes, it's a lot more expensive than, than classic plastic packaging, but for me, it was a, a sacrifice worth making. Um, obviously, it hits your bottom line, it hits your profitability quite quite heavily, um, but I deliberately delayed the launch of these products to, because, get, it right. to get it right. I didn't want to start off with plastic and, and change further down the line. I, I wanted to, to just go with the, the plastic-free stuff. Hmm. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that because coffee is a, it's a huge problem in the coffee industry. With I get emails two or three times a week from customers going, you know, why is it plastic? Why is it plastic? And so we, we hope by the end of this year we'll have a fully recyclable product because it's got a valve. But I just want to say that the shelf life, for example, with that product, how long is it? Um, same, same as uh, normal. So we have a 12-month shelf life on, on all our products. Um, and like you say, it behaves in very much the same way as, as normal plastic packaging. It has the same moisture barriers. It has the same UV barriers. Um, so it protects the product uh, as, as well as, as normal plastic packaging. That's brilliant uh, mm. because this has been the big problem. And, and fact, fortunately, the packaging industry is finally responding. But the roastery reuse has told us that by Q3, Q4 of this year, they'll have both Marley Coffee and Bird and Wild fully recyclable. But it is a really difficult thing to achieve. Very hard. Mm. Um, and as we've been saying, Ollie, um, lots of people who want to do the right thing, in inverted commas, um, and, and are trying to, you know, source from the right places, make sure that local populations are, you know, not destroying uh, sort of economies and things, and they're, you know, taking out nasties. They've then got the issue of if you've got a client base who wants to buy that, they then want you to go all the way with everything else, don't they? And that's quite hard. The packaging thing's quite an issue. They do. And I think the interesting thing is, is that there is no hiding in these areas anymore. I think if you look at the a lot of the innovation that's come out in the meat-free space, you know, some of it is great, it's meat-free. But then if you look at some of the sort of production methodologies behind some of the things that are produced, if you look at the packaging around it, you have to ask bigger questions. And I think if you want to be a brand that is, in quotes, you know, doing no evil, uh, famously someone else has that logo, <laughs> that, that idea, um, you need to stand by it. Otherwise, in the end, you, you, the, the whole thing falls apart. And with social media nowadays, you you can't you can't do that. But it, but but that's not to say it isn't it isn't extremely difficult. Mm. I think it's it's one of those ones that, as you rightly say, you you have to tackle and it's on the to do list. But but the it's we all do it the better. But it's people like Samir who who are trying to um, 
make inroads in that uh, for other people. I mean, people, presumably other people are learning off you about the way you're doing things. I mean, you, you obviously need to get together with Guy. You might be able to help yeah. him a little bit in, in how you <laughs> do that. Help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and every other brand owner I meet in, in, in the sort of convenience foods industry, I'm preaching the merits of, of, of this type of packaging. Hey, look, it's not a perfect solution. Um, you know, the, the system of collection of compostable waste across the UK is very fragmented. Uh, councils do things in very different ways. Um, so we put disposal instructions on our wrapper, you know, to, to dispose of these wrappers with your garden waste or with your food waste. And as long as you do that, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty good. You shouldn't, you shouldn't put it in your recycling bin because it does um, pollute the, the, recycle, the, the plastic recycling chain. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a big school of thought that this type of packaging is not the right way to go. But for me, when you talk about plastic, you know, being sent to landfill and going to the oceans and, and polluting the, the food chain, microplastics is real. Um, I you think don't this, want to be part of that. I don't do want to be part of it. And this is a massive step in the right direction. But it, but it does place the, a certain, you know, as you say, sort of challenge amongst consumers to say, right, okay, you've got to just, you've got to look. And I find that a lot of packaging that, you know, comes in and out of our house just isn't very well labelled. And that's the, the the difficulty. And I think the key is that you make that really clear to consumers that it's like, okay, you can throw this in your food waste, you can throw this in your garden waste. I mean, God, I'd love it if all the plastic that came through our house was actually compostable and we could use it to feed the worms. Yeah, but it's it's quite difficult because so yeah. so many food products have to be protected. I mean, you've been in the food industry for Absolutely. donkey's years and you know, you've you've got to play that thing about protecting something on, on the other side of Totally, you know, making sure it gets there in the right place and it's got shelf life, as as well as trying to do. But that's the end of that. This is you know, you you've you've been a great believer in this. So is this is where we're going to see the innovation, isn't it? You know, this is where so. we're you know people because in the end, if you can produce a product that is game changing in the packaging world, the potential upside mm-hmm. for that business is huge. It's huge. It's the demand is massive. there. Yeah, yep, the demand is definitely there. So, so how's it going in terms of of, of you launching the product and 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 getting it sort of into the mainstream? It's tough. Um, it's tough. It's tough. It's really tough. Um, in the UK, especially, there's just so much competition. There's so many new health and uh, healthy and, and clean food brands, drink brands. Uh, also, driving home the plastic-free message, uh, the natural ingredient message. So it's been it's been pretty tough. Um, but I have to say, the um, the fact that it's compostable packaging and plastic-free has really been opening some doors for us. Really? Yeah. Is that from from home, from the supermarkets, or, or from uh, yeah, supermarkets? Or? You know, one of our first listings was was W. H. Smith. Um, you know, in in a sort of 120 or so travel stores, uh, which was a massive win for us. Uh, that's as mainstream as as you know you can get. Um, and we, we, you know, I don't want this this brand or these products to be niche and, and artisanal and only available to to small sectors of society. I want it to be mass product, mass distribution, and I want it I want it to be next to you know, on the shelf next to all, all, the, all, the, all the other mainstream brands. That is happening though, Ollie, uh, don't you think? So, so you go to a corner shop and you go to garages now and there's, there's you know, there used to just be Mars, you know, Milky Way, or, you know, all the tradition you, mm-hmm. you see, when it, when it, even when I was a kid. Um, but, but they are being dented severely. They're hugely, they're being dented. And I think it's, I think it's really difficult for them because they've got, you know, they're trying to, you know, deliver, you know, growth every year. And I, you know, I think it's really difficult for them to actually keep that going. Mm. I mean, I really do. And I think that particularly in the confectionery area where there's also, you know, absolutely movement away from it because of sugar issues and healthy eating and all the rest of it. So when you've got something that actually is committed to these kinds of causes, 
it really helps. And I think for the big businesses, it's hard to go all out because it's so in conflict with a lot of the rest of their business. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Guy, how are you doing getting into the mainstream? With, with well, actually, I was, I was going to say to Samir that in some ways, my perspective is Europe is more interesting than the UK because in the in the UK, there's such a crowded marketplace of amazing food and drink brands. You go around, it's amazing. Whereas actually... There's a lot more opportunity, I think, in in France, Benelux, Scandinavia, particularly Germany. Uh, although the price point in Germany is, bit, they're always looking after lower price products generally. But I think it's almost easier to to be a British brand if it's something like that in places like Denmark and Sweden. Um, yeah, no, UK, totally agree. So many great products yeah. in the UK. It's amazing. Asia as well. I mean, you know, made in UK is is almost a gold standard in Asia. Um, so we're, we're launching in Japan in April um, because the distributor we're working out there loves the product um, and just really interested in made in UK products. Um, and that that could be a lesson for some new um, startups. Actually, why, why would you necessarily target the UK? Look, I think I think it's there's lots of markets. Well, uh, as we know, Brexit is coming, and you know what is going to happen in terms of the rules around production and around what you can share is is really hard to tell. But I certainly think, you know, for brands that can build themselves to being a global mark of excellence that can target multiple markets is worthwhile. And, I, and I've always said this about the UK, and it's one of the difficulties here is there are only 60-odd million of us. You know, and while that sounds like a lot, you know, having lived in America and India and Thailand, you know, you sort of go and spend time in places like Indonesia, you go, my God, it's tiny. <laughs> and actually, you know, where are the market opportunities? You know, yeah, this, this is a huge market. It's, it's affluent and people are interested in food, but it's also super competitive. And so there's a flip, which is on one level, if you can win here, you can win anywhere. Yeah. Apart from America, which is the one I would say does not, does not roll with that. But it, I think it's, it's interesting. And I think, you know, if people like the thing like Frankie Fox and others um, have done stuff with um, the Foraging Fox and others have, you know, Fever Tree have pushed out to lots of these international markets with great success. And how do you do that? Do, do you just have to find a distributor abroad or, or how does it actually work, Guy? Well, so for me, actually, again, my focus is really on direct-to-consumer e-commerce. So my, my coffee sold uh, on Amazon, all, all, of, all of the five platforms. And I'm spending heavily on advertising on Google. So anything, let's say, like organic coffee beans or whatever, across Europe, you're seeing my my ad pop up and I'm going to have a now multi-language uh, e-commerce site. So, yeah, so I still do trade shows. We just did, for, for Marley Coffee, we just did Biofac in Nuremberg. And I'll be doing a few more. But I'm quite excited about just getting out direct to the consumer and having a relationship with them because retailers are so hard. And also the... The move to private label now, it's just so difficult. But the thing is that that route is only available to certain, you know, the fact is if you look at, you know, things like toilet paper or coffee or, you know, laundry detergent, these are things that we use week in, week out at a certain rate. And therefore, on one level, we're kind of okay with the idea of subscription models. You know, you're closer in those spaces. There are others that, are, that, are, that, that, that don't work as well in that space. I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's really interesting that you're having success in that. Because I think mm. a lot of people we've spoken to over the years have not had success in the direct-to-consumer market, but everyone I think, tried. I think what you're trying to say is it, it absolutely depends on the product. Yeah, uh, the It's something that you're, you're, you're definitely, you know, I mean, I, I subscribe to wine. I get wine delivered quite a lot because it's heavy and I don't want to go and buy it. And, you know, it's, I don't and, and, and those chateaus only, only produce such small amounts of wine that you are able to take most of their consumption <laughs> and therefore... Yeah, it's very funny. Actually, what's, um, what's also changed is in, in coffee, bean-to-cup machines, lots of people have them now. Yeah. And actually, you go to any retail, they're all ground coffee. So that's been a real boon for mm. coffee is that you can really only get good coffee online. Mm. 
Well, um, good luck to both of you. I mean, I, I, I really applaud, you know, I think this is where small startups are, are just really changing the face of, of, of you know, speciality food because because you're determined and dedicated to you know doing in inverted commas the right thing but i think the one thing we must mention i think it's very interesting you when you talk about what you're doing it's a small startup but being powered by two of the most powerful businesses in the world amazon and google Mm -hmm. what you do is not possible without those two businesses and that is the other thing that's really interesting about this which is you know, the disruptors in the marketplace are not, you know, of course, they're Aldi and Lidl and, you know, there's lots of stuff in that space. But actually, without Amazon and Google, you couldn't build a direct consumer business. No, absolutely not. But what that, what's that done is, is taken the barriers down so that Completely. entry points Agreed. are so Agreed. easy for anybody. You can just yep. literally set up a home. Yeah, it's you not know, easier. And it has changed. Has completely changed. Well, um, thank you very much, Guy Wilmot of Bird and Wild Coffee. Um, really um, impressed by what you're doing when you enter the uh, Future Food Awards, and the same with Samir uh, Vaswani. Um, good luck to you both. Um, I didn't realise you're in WH Smith. I'm popping because I like the Milky Way one. Not, Not the Milky Way, the Prodigy. That's <laughs> the one. Yeah. That, um, Thank you, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, They're really yeah, good. Yeah, very good. They are very good indeed. They're Thank very you very good. much. And of course, we'll do uh, lots of links and um, I'm pointing out uh, where to go um, for both, both of these products. Um, so, that's it. I think we've got coffee on next week. We've got a double coffee. Double coffee. Yeah. Wow, we're going to really be we're going to be you know up to our eyeballs. Yeah, a slightly Exciting. different story. Climbing the walls. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got coffee again. So uh, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show. Um, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd. And if you want to recommend any future guests, just like Guy, or Got your name now, Samia. Samia. <laughs> Sorry, popped right out of my head. Um, and please do uh, get in contact with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or on the Speciality Food Magazine website, where we're on the homepage. I think we're talking to some more coffee, shall we, Ollie? Awesome. Excellent. All the chocolate's gone. Sorry about that. <laughs> do have a good week. Bye now. <laughs>